Welcome to the College Sports Insider presented by the NCAA and Champion Magazine. I'm Jack Ford. Sexual assaults on campus have been very much in the news of late, and we've seen a renewed effort on the part of colleges and law enforcement and legislators seeking to dramatically reduce the incidence of these assaults by focusing on causes and prevention and also looking at how colleges should be responding to these cases. In that light, the NCA has created a commission to combat campus sexual violence, and the co-chair of that is Lieutenant General Robert Kaslin, who's the superintendent of the United States Military Academy at West Point, and I'm delighted to have General Kaslin spending some time with us here to talk about this. General, always good to see you. Jack, it's great to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Honored to be here. Let's talk about, first let's talk about your situation at the academy. And I know the notion of of sexual assault has been something that the military has been focusing on significantly, Mm -hmm. uh, certainly in in the recent past. And you at the academy, as the superintendent, have also said this is something that that you really need to to be focusing on. First question for you is this. I, I saw where you've said in, in the past that a, a, a college environment is, is kind of different because it provides both challenges in terms of, of sexual assault and also promise. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, it's a challenge because just like the men and women that come into the military academy are the same men and women from society at large. And they bring the values into the military academy or into the military that they have learned. Uh, in their upbringing, however that was, whether it's from the communities, their towns, their schools, the teams they played on, and they bring that that value set with them to to their university. Uh, Some of those values are consistent with the values of our institutions, some are not. Uh, So as a developmental institution, which the United States Military Academy is, our responsibility is to develop leaders of character. And part of that character is to imbue the values of our institution, which are duty on our country, and the values of our army, which include respect. And with the removal of the combat exclusion law, where now women are in all of the different branches of the United States Army, uh, every single organization that's out there now is going to be a mixed gender organization. And it's our responsibility to develop leaders who not only will abide by those policies and regulations Uh, at the academy, but to develop leaders who, when they graduate, will develop organizations that they'll be in charge of, where every single member of that organization is a valued member, that they are treated with respect, they're treated with dignity, they feel that they're a valued member, they feel secure both emotionally and physically. So it's not only the responsibility to imbue those values into our cadets, but then to develop leaders who will do the same in the organizations that they'll be in charge of when they graduate. You're a graduate of the military academy, now you come back as the superintendent. It how different was the environment when you were a cadet from what it is now uh, with you as the superintendent? Well, a significant difference. I was there when it was an all-male institution. Um, but, but the treatment of women in mixed gender in, in an all-male institution is somewhat different than what you have right now. I think one of the best things that ever happened to our military academy was to become a mixed gender organization. And it uh, creates an opportunity. It creates an opportunity now to develop leaders who can lead in a, can lead mixed gender organizations, can lead diverse organizations. Uh, Before it was pretty much a homogeneous type of environment that had leaders that were leading homogeneous type of organizations. But as our army becomes more and more diverse, it's now important to be able to have a diverse organization that will lead a diverse army. 
One of the things you've talked about in the past in, in terms of the academies is uh, what's referred to as the Service Academy Gender Relations Survey. Mm -hmm. What sort of things, as, as the leader of the academy, what sort of things have, have you learned from that that help you frame this issue and, and, and help provide some guidance for you into what, what you should be doing as an institution? Yeah, well, this, the, the, gen, the, the Gender Relations Survey... Is, an, is a Department of Defense survey that's given every other year to our cadets. And it's also given to the midshipmen and the cadets at the United States Air Force Academy as well. Um, we see it every other year, so therefore, we have similar type of questions so you can track trends over time. Mm -hmm. And we, what's very important is to track your prevalence, which is the occurrences of a sexual assault. It's an anonymous survey. So it's probably the closest means that we have available to us to understand how many actual assaults, or as the survey says, unwanted sexual contact actually occur. Um, on university campuses across America today, one out of four, one out of five is actually reported. Um, I think our reporting rates are higher than that, and matter of fact, they're going up. And I think it's a good sign when report, reporting goes up because if someone reports then they feel confident in the program, they feel confident in the system, they feel confident in the leadership that they'll be taken care of, that there'll be sufficient advocacy for them, and that they're very sensitive to reprisal, and that the reprisal will be uh, held under control as well, so that they can report and not only get the help and assistance that they need personally as a victim, but also to be able to adjudicate these cases. And if there is someone of illicit behavior out there that we identify who it is and to take the appropriate action against it. Let me talk a little bit more about the reporting, then I want to talk with you about the, the, the process afterwards, the investigative mm -hmm. process, the adjudicative process. In, in terms of reporting, and from the, your perspective, a military academy, again, the, the, the culture is, is different. Um, do you find that because of, of what you're trying to foster at the academy, this, this sense, this bonding, you know, you are training leaders who are going to be out there in, 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 the, in the forefront of whatever dangers this country is going to be confronted by. Mm -hmm. They're going to be out there. So part of, of what you want to inculcate in them is this notion of being a team and working mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. it, does, does that become a problem then when you're talking about reporting in the sense that, that some people might say, look – how can I be a member of a team if I'm going to essentially point to some one of my teammates and accuse them of something inappropriate? How do you deal with that? Yeah, no, that's an excellent question. When we, we talk to all of our survivors and all of our victims and we say, why did you report? Do you know of somebody who did not report? Why do they not report? In reporting, we also have the ability to report official, which we call unrestricted, which an investigation will occur, or we can go restrictive reporting. Which means what? What's the opposite? The restrictive reporting, the victim that something had occurred, they'll report it to not so much the officials but to our victim advocates, and then they'll receive the, the uh, medical and the mental health and the behavioral health treatment, and they'll be embraced with advocacy that we provide all of our victims. But, but what it they, may not be then a full-blown adjudicative process. We won't because you can't do an investigation because yeah. the, the, the alleged assailant or the alleged perpetrator is not known. It's not known to the chain of command. Even me as the commander, I don't even get inf – I'll get information of a restricted report, but I don't even know their identity, nor do I know the uh, alleged perpetrator. 
Uh, what that does is that protects them, and and there's a lot of reasons why they don't report, as your question uh, um, had had hinted. And really, I mean, so we ask those, those who report restrictively, why do you not report? And a lot of them say, because I don't want to upset my team, just like mm-hmm. you said. Others will say, we know that the Army takes this seriously, and we know the consequences if I do report, and it's substantiated, and I don't want to hurt their career. So there's some sensitivities. Now, we try to talk them out of that, but we're just glad that they came forward with a restricted report in the first place. And a lot of them, believe it or not, are converted over time from a restricted report to an unrestricted report. And then once you have the unrestricted report, then we can go ahead and do the investigation so that we can hold the alleged perpetrator accountable if that's the case. I, I would suspect that the, the, the question of, all right, who should you be reporting to would also be a difficult one, not just in, in any college environment, but I think especially in, in terms of your environment, the academy, because of, of that, that structure, that leadership structure mm-hmm. you have, that command structure. So how do you then deal with that idea of who is, who is the person or persons then who should be in charge of somebody coming to them and said, here's what happened to me and I need guidance? Yeah, well, what we have published to the entire Corps of Cadets is, a, is there's a sexual assault response coordinator that works for the Commandant of Cadets. It's a captain of the United States Army. Everybody knows who he or she is. There also is an office that is in the middle of the barracks so that a cadet can go there in a very uh, informal way without a lot of people with a lot of notice and notification. So that, that location there is for a particular reason it's exactly right within right the barracks. Exactly right there. And since we made that move and put that in there, our reporting has almost doubled this year as and compared that, to last year. Interesting. So people would be more comfortable with the yeah. idea of going there as opposed to, let's say, in, in, in a building that houses senior commanders? Yeah, we had it in another building. It's also where we had our honor hearings for honor violations and some other things. And it was the building by itself was a place where most cadets didn't want to be in the first place, you know. Mm-hmm. So we realized that was not the best place to put it. When we put it into the barracks, in the cadet barracks, it made a significant difference. Yeah. And that's why our, our reporting this year is twice the reporting that it was last year previously. It's going up every single year I've been there which to me is a very good thing. It's a great thing. It, it, let's talk about that because somebody might think, well, if, if you're the superintendent of a, this spectacular place, the military camp, as you know, I, I, I'm an enormous fan of mm-hmm. what you do there, you individually in the institution. Um, but I, some people might think, well, more reporting will not reflect well. Uh, it means that there are you know, more instances taking place at, at West Point, so that can't possibly be a good thing. Why then, as the superintendent, do you look at more reporting and say that is a positive thing? Yeah, well, the assumption is, when, like, like we referred to when we, took, we talked about the SAGR survey, the Sexual Assault Gender Relations Survey, that will tell you how many assaults or unwanted sexual contact actually occurred. That's the prevalence. That's what we call prevalence. And then when you look at reporting, we find that one out of four or one out of five, for us it's normally one out of four, are actually reported. So what we've seen is, assuming prevalence stays constant, that's a big assumption, but we're confident that is a valid assumption, then reporting increases. So ultimately what you want to do is you want to reduce prevalence and increase reporting so that every case is reported, and then you bring them both down together. So the fact that your reporting is going up indicates that you have a command climate that's more conducive to support victims. You have a command climate that uh, will 
protect the victims from reprisal or, or, or retaliation, and you have a, an investigative process that has the confidence of the cadet chain of command at large, that it's a fair and it will be adjudicated properly investigation and how it's going to be handled. So that pro, so the program gains confidence within the Corps of Cadets and the student body. And that's, that's what, as a commander, that's, a, that's exactly what we want to do with our program. How do you do that with your adjudicative process? And how, how do you put in place a process that will satisfy the, the, the concerns and expectations of a victim? and the concerns and expectations of somebody who is alleged to have been involved? Mm-hmm. Well, what we, the first thing we do, and the most important thing that we do, is provide advocacy for the victim. And we provide whatever support is necessary, whatever support we can for the victim. Um, then we assign a victim advocate. And then if it goes through the legal channels, we'll assign a special victim counselor, special victim counsel. Uh, we're very fortunate to have these. These are resources that the United States Army provides for us. And, but these are essential to our victims because one of the things that we have seen when you have a victim of sexual assault is, is an increase in isolation because they, there's a tendency to start isolating yourself and then through the isolation there's a tendency for some sort of misconduct, like you're not going to class, you skip class and things like that. And then there's accountability from the misconduct, you know, like punishment tours and things like that from West Point, which creates further isolation and depression, which creates further misconduct, and you have this cycle that goes on all the way down until they bottom out and they're ejected out of the system. We have to stop that cycle. We as commanders have got to understand what a victim is going through, and we've got to, we've got to stop the cycle and reverse it so that we can provide the advocacy that will build the self, their self-esteem back, build their confidence back, create the environment and the community around them that supports them so that they can recover from the, the trauma that they experienced and if they elect to do so, proceed forward in a, uh, in a judicial way for accountability of the alleged assailant. We've talked about, about what you've been doing at the academy in terms of, of reporting, in terms of the investigative process, the adjudicative process. How about the notion of prevention, sort of on the, on the front end here? What types of things have you been doing at the academy to try to, to deal with um, reducing these incidents? Yeah, no, excellent question. You, you actually summarized our strategy because our strategy is, is to have the proper investigations, provide the proper victim advocacy to hold through their judicial process in the military, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, process, hold them accountable, um, to assess our programs, and then to provide prevention. Prevention is the principal driver towards the reduction of prevalence, so the reduction of cases that would occur. When we took our survey, all three service academies took the survey a year ago, we found that in all cases, all service academies, that our prevalence increased. In 2000, we take it every other year, like I mentioned. In 2010 to 2012, um, it, it, was, it remained steady. In 2014, it dropped. And then in 2016, it went back up to where it was in 2012. Not significant, but it went back up. It's not what we would like as commanders to see prevalence because we'd like to see the prevalence coming down. Incidentally, the prevalence in the Army at large is coming down as well. We're, we're very pleased to see that. Um, so so my, I wanna get, I wanna, I'd like to get the prevalence to come down, but the prevalence has gone up uh, to where it was at the 2014 level. Um, so, 
it makes us go back to look at our prevention strategy because prevention if the strategy was actually working it would modify that behavior it would change the behavior and if we really think about it, if we're going to change a culture you have to change behavior the model that we were using for behavioral change is a small group open candid dialogue that would create reflection so that through that reflection you would see where you are in your values and your habits as compared to where you need to be and the reflection and introspection would drive behavioral change. The small groups would be led by peers, which are cadets themselves. And, um, and, and, that, and you would think that through that dialogue, that open candid dialogue, and that through that education system, you'd be more exposed to it and you see your prevalence drop. It's not, it did not occur based on that survey. That's why these surveys are very helpful to us because we have assessed our pro, our prevention program, and we have to make some modifications, some changes to the, to the program itself. Why do you think it, it was not working, that model? Well, it was modeled after the fact that you had peer facilitators. And what, what we found out from the peer facilitator is, in the cadet 19, 18, 19-year-old perspective, they're probably the least mature and least experienced to handle these very sensitive situations. So when they get among their peers, instead of having these discussions that create introspection and reflection, they're having discussions that create a little bit of cynicism instead. So we were getting the opposite effect that we wanted to. So we were doing a very, very aggressive, introspective look about our, our education program, and we're making some significant changes to it. So we're going to bring in like large group speakers and then have breakout sessions immediately after that so that the large group speaker can talk to them, to a, a group at large, and talk to them about some of the root causes of sexual violence that we haven't been addressing adequately. And that's a whole other issue itself. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we're, we haven't been doing in our program is we're talking more about the negative than aspiring to talk about an aspiration towards what a healthy relationship looks like. Um, a, lo a lot of these young men and women, contrary to you and I, didn't have a mom and dad that told them about yeah. the birds and the bees and what a healthy relationship looks like. And unfortunately, a lot of Men in particular will find out how to do sex through pornography that they're seeing in their upbringing. And as a result of that, they've got an image, and perhaps you can argue a distorted image, of what a, a sexual relationship, a healthy relationship would look like. So now we're modifying our education to talk about healthy, healthy relationships. You, you talk about one thing, and, and, and I know I've seen you talk about this before, uh, about this notion that you know, your model is pornography. Uh, I know you've also talked before about the about the culture, the the the, the, uh, the we, we've seen it referred to as sort of a hookup culture, mm -hmm. uh, and the impact that that has on young people. What what do you mean by that? The hookup culture is very interesting. I never had heard of it, but it's uh, it's not what you and I <laughs> had when we were growing up. Hookup culture is that you find someone to have sex with, and if sex is good, you have a relationship. Right. As contrary to what. What what I you and I probably did when growing up is that you have a relationship. Out of the relationship, there may be sex, and then you know the relationship would would develop. Um, and but it's kind of the opposite a little bit. And there are these apps and these computer online programs that you can hook up with somebody. And the agreement is most of the time, or a lot of times, that the agreement is to, to is to hook up to have sex. So it creates these expectations. It does, and, and yeah, and you know, and then we see hookup cultures go bad. We've we've seen a number of hookup contacts that have gone really bad, and 
um, out of that is your allegations of sexual violence that would occur because one had the expectation and another person may have had the expectation at first, might have backed out because consent was not there. And the whole idea of consent is something that we have to talk about and teach as well. You also have mentioned the notion of a of a toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Now, certainly, masculinity, the term when you're talking about the academies, and again, I don't mean to rule out the role that, that women play as, as leaders in the military now, because obviously that's there. But if, when you're talking about toxic masculinity, what do you mean by that? And what well, sort of impact do you think that has? Well, toxic masculinity is that thing that you hear about all the time about the locker room talk. So here's a toxic masculinity. Here's a guy saying, oh, this is my weekend experience. This is what I was able to do, you know, or their terms, what I was able to accomplish, which creates an expectation to the person listening to him that if he did that, I ought to be able to do that. So when that other person has a relationship, the relationship is framed in his mind about how his friend talked about it in the locker room. And rather than a healthy relationship, it creates coercion and force and through coercion and force, which is a thing that also has to be addressed as a root cause, because through coercion and force, when someone is talking or someone is, let's say, in bed wanting to have a sexual relationship and there is no consent, no consent, more coercion, more more force, forceful talking, no consent, more coercion, more forceful talking, no answer. And then... Yeah. Does that, is that, is that is completed. assumed to be consent based upon the toxic masculinity that's right. that we talked about. Yeah, but through the force and coercion of toxic masculinity. And that's a very that's I don't want to say it's a very common, but that's a common scenario that we see in in uh, unwanted sexual contact or sexual assaults. And that's something that has to be addressed. So the way you want to address it is that this is important because the what you want the way you want to address that is don't keep saying, don't do this. What you have to say is, well, what, what does the opposite look like? What does healthy masculinity right. look like? What does a healthy masculine relationship look like with a partner? And then let's aspire to that rather than saying no, no, no to the other thing. And that's where that's, these are the modifications that our survey caused us to be reflective in our prevention strategy and our education. These are some of the modifications in our education that we are now making here at West Point. Let me talk about the the NCA commission then that that you're the co-chair of. Um, looking at what you're doing at West Point and and the the approaches that you're taking, West Point said is a it's a different environment. It's an it's a higher education environment. It's a college environment, but it's different because of the command structure that's there. Do you think that you can transform that, what you're doing at West Point, uh, so that it could be of value to other academic institutions that don't have a military base to them? Well, we, 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 I think we can very much so. And, well, I'm very fortunate to be part of the co-commission with um, Dr. Carol Quinlan, who is from Davidson College. She is remarkable. And the commission that we have that, with, that the NCAA staff put together is remarkable. There are advocates, there are victims, there are athletic directors, there's coaches. The football coach from Stanford University, for example, is on there. Uh, There are other college presidents and the collective group of thought in this, every single one is passionate that this is something that we have to uh, take on is very important. So the vision in our commission that we created is that we will create cultural change in athletic departments across college campuses in America 
that, when that change occurs, will infiltrate or will migrate through the rest of the college campus so that the change will also occur across. But it will be led by the athletic departments and the athletes, student athletes of that athletic department. Are you, last question for you, are you, are you optimistic? Because I, I, you recognize the problem that's been in the military, although as you said, the military is making progress with it. You recognize uh, what needs to be done at, at West Point. Are you optimistic that these changes can be affected? Um, they, yes, I am optimistic, but it's something that you just can't fix one time because on any university or any college campus, you have uh, four classes, freshmen, sophomore, juniors, and seniors. The senior class is leaving and the new freshman class comes in. The new freshman class comes from society at large with all the values of that particular society that enter into the service, in, into the, um, into the college campus. But, you know, some of the things that we're thinking about and some of the things the commission is talking about and that we're going to have discussions with the Board of Governors on is what is the policy? What is there a degree of accountability, not only for the individual, but for institution? Should there be? And if so, what is the impact that that accountability will have on individual behavior, not only at the college campus, but even before the college campus? Indiana University just created a, just established a policy that said that if there was a sexual assault conviction, that they're ineligible to be a student at, the, at, as a, at as a, Indiana. Yeah, certainly a recruit. And, yeah. and, and you know, yeah, we're seeing places saying as a student. So if I'm a high school coach, you know, and I'm, I've got some prospects that are interested in going to Indiana University, or let's just say a policy similar to that was across college campuses uh, nationwide. I'll be a mentor for as that coach to that young man or that young woman and talking to them about their behavior and talking to them about uh, about some of the things um, that they need to be listened, that they need to hear, that they need to listen to rather than seeing it online on some pornogra- por- mm-hmm. uh, pornography uh, website someplace. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the type of discussion that needs to occur rather than what I just referred to. Yeah. Well, it, it's an area, as I mentioned in the beginning, that is, is the, the focus of such concern and, and necessarily in the world of higher education. And, and uh, General Kaslan, I want to thank you for spending some time. It's always good to talk with you. Yeah, thanks, uh, my, my hope is down the road we can talk a little bit more and as the commission continues its work and see how Well, it I'd love to. And, I, you know, I could not be more excited about being part of this commission because we, I, I just feel very confident. Of course, we just finished one of our meetings here right before this uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, conversation. So I'm really pumped up and fired up with the commission and how much energy they have and how much optimism they have to change cultures across college campuses today. Yeah. Well, and great. it's just an honor to be a part of that. Well, that that's great to hear. So we'll look forward yeah. to talking with you again soon. You, you be well. And, and don't I, if I remember correctly, I have to end this conversation by saying beat Navy. Beat Navy. Beat Navy. We General, will. Uh, <laughs> again, two years in a row. Two years. All right. General, On the way to 15. <laughs> uh, good, good to see you again. You take care. Okay, Jack. Thank you. Thank you very much. That does it for us for this edition of College Sports Insider. I'm Jack Ford. We hope you'll join us again real soon. Until then, take care.